Welcome back to Disney Dependent. I'm Sarah Chilcott. And I am? Who knows? Who knows who this guy is? <laughs> he doesn't either. A friend of mine just shared that compilation, and I laughed so hard. I watched it like two in the morning <laughs> last night. So far, two of my friends have shared that on <laughs> IG stories last night. So in honor of my friend, I am Chris Camp. Hi, Chris. Nice to meet you. <laughs> well, Sarah, we haven't talked to you in a while, and we miss you. Yeah, I miss you guys, too. Well, we'll be home now in a week and a couple days. Dang. All a week and a half. Cool. Well, I'm excited to be back in the studio with you guys, because yeah, as man. much fun as it is, I mean, it is, it's actually really convenient to just record from home and not have to get ready to go anywhere. It's much quicker, but it's not the same. It's not the same. It is a lot easier, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm just not fully in it until I've seen Dexter. (laughs) Where is that boy? (laughs) He's a sun bear. Hey, buddy. He is. He is so orange in the sun. Look how sunny it is, sir. Shut up. Oh, should we just go ahead and do the weather then? Yeah, go ahead. Well, I don't hear anything yet, so I don't, I don't, my cue is not there. That's my cue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's a blue fireplace first. I love it. Here's Dexter. Okay, now he's coming. Come on, buddy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's just in. It's 50 and cloudy at not Disneyland. And it's 85 and sunny in Disneyland adjacent. You shut your mouth. That's the forecast for today. Is it really? (gasps) Wow. It's supposed to be 80 this Wednesday here. I'm down. Or, or something like that. It's 81 already. It's not even 11. <sighs> oh, yeah. Let's go. I'm riding, <laughs> baby. <laughs> it's 81. I just told Josh that, and he flipped you off from the kitchen. So, <laughs> Well, I'll be back to the darkness soon. <laughs> he didn't flip reason. you off. He flipped, actually, he flipped off the world here. Yeah. It's not personal. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, other than other than the weather, it sounds like you've been fighting. You've been under the weather. Sounds like you've been fighting the cold. I have been under the weather. Yeah, Josh had it for a week and a half. He's finally feeling better, and then I got it about midway through his, and I'm I'm feeling better too. I'm actually I'm good now. I'm just still pretty tired, and mm-hmm. as you can tell by my voice, I've been coughing and phlegming quite a bit for the last few days. There was one day where my left eye leaked nonstop for the whole whole day. I'm talking like tears down dripping off my chin. (laughs) Just the left side. I was so unbalanced. (laughs) Gross. Yeah. Yeah. I I was fighting the cold the first day of NAMM, the music conference I did last week. God, it seems like a year ago. Um, which was like the worst place to be sick, but then I got through it and it sounds like everyone had a cold. Mom and dad had a cold. You had Mm -hmm. a cold. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was not a, it wasn't just like a runny nose cold. It was just like a take everything out of you kind of cold. But luckily for me, it was quick, short lived. I never had a fever or anything like that. So yeah, I'm I'm good now. It was 
you know, kind of a forced couple days of rest and boy, did I. <laughs> well, we've, we've been pretty busy down here, both with work and some fun stuff. We've been mm-hmm. tourists when, when we can. We went to, God, we did so much, haven't we? We went to the Walt, what is that called? The it's Walt Barn. Walt's Barn. And the Lost, what is it, the Live Steamers. Lo- it's a railroad museum connected to the lot to the barn. Oh, how cool. <laughs> Dexter really wants to be a part of this. Give me a butt. He heard your call for him. Yes. <laughs> Sarah, that place is like way, way cooler than we thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah, as a Disneyland fan, you, everyone really should try to do that if you're down in LA. It's in Burbank. So it's connected to like the the lot? No, no. Not at all. Not at all. It's a park. So it's a it's a like locomotive train museum outside. So uh-huh. there's a bunch of trains. So it's like dad stuff, like tr- train yeah. dorks. But also Walt Disney's, they made it Walt Disney's um it's his barn it's his barn in his backyard and it has like his workbench and a bunch oh of how cool it's, it's not a replica it's actually his barn they just moved it yeah and yeah so it's his, his personal belongings his tools all the sketches of disneyland all these random artifacts and pictures and like uh miniature models of the train he wanted to build. Oh, that's awesome. The first train that was actually used at Disneyland, the locomotive is in, is there. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, it is like a Disneyland fan's dream. So it's not just like some kind of an homage to him. It's actually his stuff. It's his stuff. Yeah. And, and there's actual volunteers that look like cast members. Like they have the tags, you know, it says Walt's barn crew on their shirts. And it has all super cool. It has Ollie Johnston's train depot that he built for his kids as they're playing yeah. in his backyard. That's right. Oh, I love it. Oh, I love that. And it's only open one day a month. Yeah, so. it's open one day a month. Whoa. One day. What a does month it cost to get in? Free. It's free. Free. So. Cool. And it wasn't crazy. There, it was. It was glorious. It was like you know, there's like a, a mountainside behind you. It's beautiful out. Park. It's, it's yeah, that's, it's part of Griffith Park technically. That's right. Okay. Which is a humongous park. It's it's like Central Park, if not much bigger. I mean, it's miles and miles and miles. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it was it was really cool. And then later that day, we went to Mystic Museum, which is like a, a horror movie mm-hmm. and <laughs> wet dream. Yeah, it's the weirdest <laughs> place ever. And they also have a new walkthrough exhibit that they kind of change out. That's like each room pays homage to a different horror movie. Mm-hmm. So like the first room is the Shaun of the Dead room. And like you you take your little ticket that has like a barcode on it. And you scan it through a thing and it sets off the the thing. So like yeah. lights are going off and you hear zombie sounds. It's really fun. Um, they have like a hostel room. American Psycho. American Psycho. So it's like Huey Lewis is playing and stuff. And, there's That's a big great. sign. I have to return some videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I saw your, really your post. My wife is happy. And she's yeah. just standing in front of the most horrifying scene. It was <laughs> the was saw like, room. Yeah, I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Like creepy little clown just, guy on the bike. 
nightmare. <laughs> yeah, she's happy as hell. So we've done a lot. We've, we've seen it. We've been around. I've been to every coffee shop on the planet around here. Mm-hmm. That's Cute. universal. Yeah, let's cover that real quick because we said we'd report back. That's exactly right. It's really fun. It was actually better than we remembered it being, mm-hmm. especially the like the main street yeah. area when you first walk in. That's really cute. It's old Hollywood vibes, kind of DCA vibe, really. It's just not quite the same. Like the sight lines are a little off. Right. You can see the valley. You see LA and like the, the skyscrapers and the freeway and shit. Yeah. So you know where you are in the world. You're not sure. immersed like Disneyland. The priorities are different. The priorities are different. And the yeah. studio tour is so worth, good. That is worth the emission alone. It's yeah. an hour long. Like we did it as kids. It's it's just as fun. I didn't. Really? You don't remember doing that? I've never been to Universal. Oh, it's it's definitely fun. It's worth going. Yeah. Yeah, I, Sarah, I think you'd like it. Like the mummy ride was really fun. Very short. Very, mm-hmm. very short. It's like, I don't know, like the Aerosmith ride divided in half. Mm-hmm. That amount of intensity and like like 25% long. Crazy. So it's a, a quick little, like, okay, you go backwards, you go forwards, and you drop. And it's like, all right, that's kind of a fun little coaster. <laughs> the Jurassic Park ride is really cute. It's a water ride. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a big drop, like, splash. So that's kind of fun. Have I ever showed you guys the picture of our friends, Mandy and Ryan? Ryan, that did our logo. Yeah. They went to Universal with their four kids. And they have the best picture of all time on that Jurassic Park ride coming down. And all the family is happy and looking like you would falling down a thing, you know, just like ah. yeah. their daughter, Lucy, who, oh, my gosh, she's like 12, 13 now. But she at the time was maybe six. The look on her face is so good. I will find it and send it to you and get permission from them to post it on our Instagram because it's worth it. I mean. I've never seen a picture that's made me laugh so hard. And yes, part of it is that I know Lucy doesn't matter. It does not matter. You don't need to know this child to appreciate the terror in her face. But it's also, it's like, you know how short-lived the terror is. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's not even as long as of of a drop of splash. It's It's so good. God. Yeah, so I mean, as a as a Disney park fan, I, I highly recommend it. The Harry Potter land is very cute, mm-hmm. it's super super designed well, um, but you know, it's just not the same. Yeah. Okay, so we went to uh, Disneyland after dark throwback night, throwback evening night, whatever the hell it's called. Very fun, really really cute, highly decorated, and everyone's in costume. We, mm-hmm. as Ashley said, we went stand by me bounding mm-hmm. instead of disney bounding you guys looked so cute yeah it was really fun and there and you don't feel out of place because half of the people are dressed up right so it was really really fun and the best thing about it sarah so this is this is uh, we were thinking about you the whole time it's kind of a hack like this is kind of the way to do this now yeah if we just as a group go to disneyland a few times a year, two, three, even even if you go four times a year, mm-hmm. instead of just buying a normal admission ticket, 
like maybe one of them you do a park hopper instead like a normal trip right but the way to do it is to get one of these special events whether it's oogie boogie mm-hmm. or this throwback evening or the christmas after dark thing pride night the only thing is a lot of this is going to be a nighttime thing but they let you in the park in the afternoon like oogie boogie you can get in at three you get so much more bang for your buck oh yeah and it's a walk-on as soon as everyone gets out of the park it is what you always hoped for yeah and that part alone is like i mean there's just no one there it's it's probably i don't know 25 percent of the crowd if that 15 percent of the crowd I mean, it's incredible. And it's not like it's that much more money. I was going to ask. I mean, what does it cost to get in for one of those things? About 150 per person. But you're paying basically that for a one-day ticket. Yeah, these days. Depending on demand for that day. Sure. Without having a park hopper, without having Genie Plus. Yeah. No, I mean, the the event technically starts at 9, but you can get in at 6. For the throw, this is I'm talking about the throwback thing, right? You can get in the park at six, but they start kicking people out at eight, or not even start. You have to, they have to be out by eight. Yeah. So really, the event starts at eight, as far as like the walk on. How do they figure out who's supposed to be there? They do it amazingly. They just had they flood the park with cast members. They block uh-huh. every single entrance to every lane, yeah. every store. It's like at a concert. At, you know, okay. any entryway's got. A cast member checking. Okay. That you can't even get into any store off Main Street without that. Wow. Okay. You have to have a wristband on you. They also give you these cute little lanyards, but what they're really looking for is the wristband. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's like a backstage access pass. You're allowed to go into the store, and there's no one in there. So you go I to the Emporium, it. and there's five people in there. Anyway, it was amazing. Highly recommend doing that. That's my Disneyland update. We had a great time. Cool. I'm glad you got to do that. When we last left the Carthay Circle Theater way back in the late 20s, it was finding success in Hollywood's new and glamorous entertainment industry, despite being located on the fringe of Los Angeles in, quote, the sticks. But let's go back a few years and see how Disney fits into this story. These days, Disney seems like an unstoppable cultural phenomenon like it must have been a sure thing since day one. But Disney has almost faded into oblivion a number of times in its 100-year history. And one of those times was right around the time that we were covering in our last episode, The Birth of Hollywood. In 1923, around the same time that Jay Harvey began developing the Carthay Center subdivision, Walt's company, Laughogram, went bankrupt. So he moved to Hollywood to become a director. Alongside his brother, Roy, he established the Disney Brothers Studio when he lands a contract for the Alice Comedies, a series in which a young girl filmed in live action interacts with animated characters. The company expands over the next few years. Walt meets Lillian, and they marry in 1925. In 1926, Walt and Roy renamed the studio to Walt Disney Studios and moved into a new building on Hyperion Avenue. Then in 1928, Walt created Mickey Mouse and joined the ranks of filmmaking pioneers in creating Talkies when he produced Steamboat Willie. During the next year, Mickey became a national sensation and Walt began releasing his silly symphonies. By 1932, Walt and Lillian moved into their Los Feliz home where they would raise their children. 
Meanwhile, Walt Disney Studios plugged right along airing cartoon shorts before full-length feature films. The studio's short films had continued to push technical boundaries and win awards, but the cost of making them was rising. Keep in mind that this is the 1930s in America. The Great Depression is in full force. Furthermore, even in the bustling entertainment bubble of Hollywood, the trend of playing short films before feature-length films was beginning to wane, with double features taking their place. People wanted more bang for their buck. So, as demand for animated shorts diminished, Walt started to consider taking the leap into feature films. One evening in 1934, Walt got up on stage in front of his animators and pitched the story of Snow White, a fairy tale princess hated by her stepmother, the evil queen, who finds refuge with seven dwarfs who live in the woods. Disney acted out the entire tale in front of them with his trademark enthusiasm before delivering a final startling piece of news. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs would be a feature-length film. This would be the first animated feature film the world has ever seen. Whoa. That's so crazy. In 1934? Yes. That's pre-World War II. That's so old Hitler was just now like considering being who he a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'd been considering it much longer. Probably, but... Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. <laughs> so the animators were initially taken aback by the thought of drawing an 80 minute film to life. But as art director, Ken Anderson later said, quote, he was doing something no other studio had ever attempted. But his excitement over Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs inspired us all. Animator Ollie Johnston agreed, quote, It took guts to do what Walt did. The story is based on the idea that the queen is going to murder this girl. That's one drawing killing another drawing. <laughs> convinced us that this could be done so that it would be believable, and we all believed him. The rest of the Hollywood film industry remained skeptical. When word got out, Walt was working on an animated feature. It was widely ridiculed as Disney's folly. Oh. Also, what an old-timey way to shit on something. Disney's folly. (laughs) Disney's folly. (laughs) Uh, Would audiences really pay to see an hour and a half of straight animation with not a real human being in sight? Walt recalls, quote, It was prophesied that nobody would sit through such a thing. But there was only one way we could do it successfully, and that was to plunge ahead and go for broke, shoot the works. There could be no (laughs) compromising on money, talent, or time. And this was at a time when the whole country was in the midst of a crippling depression. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see animated features being a big thing. I, you know, I just, I don't see it working out. (laughs) Especially for the Disney company. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a fad. (laughs) No, it won't, like, become their flagship product or anything. No. Mm -mm. Well, financial issues plagued the entirety of Snow White's production. Walt and Roy Disney had initially budgeted between $250,000 and $500,000 for Snow White, which was about 10 times the cost of a typical Disney short. Right. We had a little money rolling in, Walt said, but not enough to finance such a big deal. Our assets were pretty impressive, though. We had our studio and a backlog of marketable pictures, so we could get credit rolling. This meant that Disney was literally betting 
everything, including his own house, on Snow White being a success. If Snow White sank, the studio repulled down with it. So we owe all of our Disney fandom and love for all of it to Snow White. Exactly. That 14-year-old squeaky-voiced... <laughs> Furthermore, the experimental nature of crafting Snow White made predicting its budget extremely difficult. Because if this film was going to succeed, it would need to elicit real emotional responses from the audience. So capturing realistic characters and movement was crucial. Walt explained, quote, The first thing I did when I got a little money to experiment, I put all my artists back in school. We were dealing in motion, movement, the flow of movement, action, reaction. So we had to set up our own school. Footage from the period shows Disney's artists studying how a long flowing beard might move at the shake of a head or how cloth billowed in the breeze. I want to go to that clap. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I a lot of wool. A lot of wool. <laughs> <laughs> and then a Los Angeles Times article from the time says, quote, 1937 will be the banner year for the film cartoon game. Isolated from Hollywood activities of the more glittering sort, sequestered in strange retreats, this form of motion picture making is enjoying its boom era. Estimators place the total that will be invested in this entertainment at $3.5 million, though part of that will be sunk in New York. What's giving the cartoon game its sudden uplift? Number one, the possibilities for its coming of age with the Walt Disney super feature production of Snow White, which won't unfortunately be ready for release until 1938. Sidetrack, I loved going down the deep end with all of the articles <laughs> from the time. No, I've been only... <laughs> going to the Walt's Barn thing in, most, in Burbank, it was such a good reminder how insane he was. He's a total batshit lunatic. Like an absolute lunatic. Here's this guy running a studio, a CEO of a business. Imagine your husband going out to the garage and like, I'm going to build a train. Mm. And then he did. (laughs) He built a train of some scale. I don't know, train scales. Big enough to ride. In his goddamn yard. You know, like a crazy guy. Like the weirdest guy in your neighborhood. And then he's like, I'm going to make an a, a amusement park in the likeness of my name. He's a fucking <laughs> lunatic. Yep. And he was also the first guy to make a feature-length animated movie like a lunatic would. Yeah. There's such a fine line between genius and crazy. And to bet everything on it. Multiple times. He like, yep. Roy and him fought constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a good reminder of like, there's delusions of grandeur and then like belief there's genius there's lunacy and somehow <laughs> Walt Disney played that line pretty well yeah it could have gone in another direction and oh, it could have been first. a full-on megalomaniac yeah it's it's the guy that you see like in the parade that's like this is my car and it's got a bunch of shit like you know people are fucking nuts right and Walt Disney was the, the rare few to actually make success out of it. Totally. 
Well, all told, Snow White required the work of 750 artists, including 32 animators, 25 background artists, and 102 assistants, and the creation of thousands of drawings. Unsurprisingly, the commitment to quality in detail soon took its toll on the budget, which was now pushing $1.7 million. In order to secure continued funding, Disney had to show the loan reps at Bank of America what he had so far. Mm. A terrifying prospect, but obviously it worked out. The project moved forward with mounting pressure to perform and fast. As that LA Times article said that very spring, it was rumored that the film wouldn't be released until 1938. But by fall, the studio had set a firm release date of December 21st, 1937, and the race against the clock was on. Layout artist Ken Anderson says, quote, everyone was putting in overtime to get the picture finished. As I recall, the print from Technicolor arrived at the theater only a few hours before showtime. Wow. Whoa. That's so crazy. That's how you get it done. So another article from uh, the time, from the Daily News, December 9th, 1937. So just a couple of weeks before the premiere. Tuesday, December 21 is the date finally set for the world premiere of Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. The Carthay Circle gets it. Coming in almost three years of production and the expenditure of over a million and a half, the first public showing of Snow White will probably attract far more than the usual Hollywood attention. The picture was made against the advice of Hollywood experts who feared the public might not accept full-length features in any but the conventional flesh and iron style. (laughs) Uh, Yep. Filmed in multiplane Technicolor, Snow White is said to be one of the most startling productions ever attempted. Yet Disney has told the story in all of its original simplicity. The Carthay premiere performance will have the usual galaxy of celebrities, special outdoor attractions and displays. Or as another article that I found put it, which I loved, quote, The event is expected to attract a glittering throng of Hollywood film top notchers. <laughs> I love how, like... If you're like, okay, uh, write an article in the in, in the LA Times in, in the 30s, like in the vein of the 30s. That's exactly yeah. how it sounds. Top notches. Top notches. And he, like the Carthay Circle gets it. The Carthay Circle gets it. <laughs> they say they're hosting the movie or like it's being released at this theater. That's yeah. how you say yeah. it. <laughs> Carthay Circle gets it. <laughs> there was a special sneak preview in Pomona in the first week of December. Quote, And the reaction, it is said, took the form of an enormous ovation. Disney himself was so encouraged that he plans to redouble his attack on the follow-up film Bambi, a story already prepared. Production on Bambi has been held back only on account of the the wish first to complete The Sorcerer's Apprentice and Ferdinand the Bull. Mm -hmm. So the hype was building up. Hell yeah. (laughs) Just a a quick note before we move on, Ash. We were talking about this at the park last night. We went on you know, Toad's Wild Hill ride and <laughs> Alice in Wonderland and then Peter Pan. And and like we're thinking this whole time, so much of early Disney was like it was all based on like witchcraft and like in the story of the Toad, he goes to hell. He dies and goes to hell. Yeah. You're in a burning mm-hmm. inferno. And and then like Alice in Wonderland, there's a a a pot smoking, drug smoking worm or caterpillar guy 
And she takes obviously mushrooms. She's obviously taking drugs. <laughs> There's like all these implications of drugs and witchcraft and like heavy uh, source material. And we we're talking about how it's it's so funny the audacity of like the far right conservative dingbats today who will, <laughs> will complain about Disney like they're trying to trans the kids and they're trying yeah. to like you know they're why they're they're injecting gay propaganda in all of their movies and it's like hey you need to pay attention you're the ones that are saying that you've lived like we used to love Disney we used to bring our kids to Disneyland family value not anymore. It's like, you're never paying attention, ever. You clearly are not a real Disney fan because Disney has always pushed the envelope socially and they've always been kind of a, a wackadoo storytelling machine. Well, it's never. fantasy. It's fantasy. <laughs> the, all of it is fantasy. Sorcerer Mickey and like, it, it's it's some pretty wacky stuff. I, I don't see how that's any different today than it. No. So another news piece from the time on December 18th noted that 600 Walt Disney Studios employees purchased their own $5 premiere tickets and uh, adjusted for inflation. That's like $104.80 for a ticket. Wow. Wow. That's like admission to Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And they had only seen bits and pieces of the film of the film at work. So they wanted to see the full thing at the premiere. Mm hmm. So, day before the premiere, LA Times, December 20th article, quote, For the sightseers who will congregate at the cafe, Disney has promised a special outdoor spectacle, including personal appearances of Mickey and Minnie Mouse, Donald Duck, Pluto, and perhaps the Seven Dwarves. <laughs> the Disney Recording Orchestra will play the original Snow White numbers. National Broadcasting Company will broadcast the event from 8.45 to 9.15 p.m. over the Coast to Coast Blue Network. Don Wilson will be the announcer. No way. Don Wilson. Don, Don Wilson. Don Wilson. <laughs> so through sheer determination, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs met its winter deadline and held its premiere at 8.30 p.m. on December 21st, 1937 at the Carthay Circle Theater in Los Angeles. Quote, an extra police force and special parking facilities were provided to minimize the traffic confusion. Tickets were priced at $5, so $104.80 accounting for inflation. Following the premiere, Snow White will be shown twice daily at 2.30 p.m. and 8.30 p.m. at regular Carthay two-a-day prices with all seats reserved. Tickets ranged from $0.50 cents to $1.50 plus tax, which equals about Ten fifty to thirty one dollars, accounting for today's prices. Wow! Wow! And this film premiere was an elaborate affair. There was a replica of the dwarf's cottage and a diamond mine constructed. Cute costumes from the film entertained guests in the attendance and welcomed celebrities such as Shirley Temple and Charlie Chaplin. Oh, oh. Shirley Temple's a real person. Yeah, I don't you know like I mean? it. I don't need it. Weird. She was just this little kid. Yeah. She did really cute. Oh. <laughs> she got old. Did a bunch of coke and died or what? I don't know. Okay. And the response <laughs> from the crowds at the premiere and thereafter was described as rapturous. The film was even a huge sellout for Christmas Eve, a day when it was very much customary to be at home with your family. Right. 
dozens of parties and entire families bought tickets ahead of time to spend their Christmas Eve at Carthay. Snow White finally ended its Carthay engagement on April 24th of the next year, making it the longest run of any sound picture that the Carthay Circle Theater had ever experienced. Wow. And the run didn't end due to lack of attendance. Shows continued to sell out through the very last day. It only ended because previous bookings necessitated the termination of the run. Wow. So they had other stuff already on contract to be running, so they had to pull it. Wow. No, I, bet, I bet it was a thing. You know, people were talking about it, and like, oh my God, it's an animated movie? Yeah, and it's theaters. really good. It's like, good. And as history shows, it would go on to become the most profitable film of all time. In risking so much when making Snow White, Walt Disney Studios not only established itself as a major force in Hollywood, but also demonstrated the creative possibilities of animated feature films. Sadly, the Carthay Circle Theater was demolished in 1969 and replaced with an office building, but it still holds a place in the history of Hollywood and maintains a strong presence within the Disney parks. But that's the story for another day, if there's interest. We could go into the whole cafe in the parks thing. Yes. But for now, my sources were newspaper.com or newspapers.com, Attractions Magazine, and Den of Geek. Den of Geek. Yeah. It's a good name. I like that. So it said it was the most profitable film of all time. I assume they mean the most profitable film leading up to that time. No, I think that in general, because of how... Like it can't the be, second like runs. Avatar and Titanic and stuff are like the most profitable movies of all time. Maybe adjusted for inflation. Oh, okay. yeah. Either way, it's sure. a, it was a smash hit. You bet everything on it. Again, the 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 line between a crazy person and a very successful entrepreneur is usually pretty small. Yeah. Dang. I mean, McCarthy was you know stealing donkeys or whatever it was. Yeah. And also made Carthay Circle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> crazy story and it's very serendipitous that we were just there last night at disneyland and you know we crushed van disneyland we just went and walked on every ride and it's just such a good reminder of how bonkers the early disney stuff is yeah it's all very weird and strange and most of the disney thing is based in some of the i don't know it not not just the content and ip but like the park the movies all of it early Disney company story is based on like risking it all and moving across mm-hmm. to California. And um, there's, there's a lot of inspiration in that for, for me personally. Yeah. Walt Disney's one of the greatest American entrepreneurs of all time. I think he, a man with a dream. Yeah. The man with a dream. That's right. I think we, we can all identify in that, right? Nah, we all got a dream. Nah. I just have a night. Do we? Let's get close to the camera for Sarah. Huh? I can't get any closer because my stuff is all very stationary and there's things in the way. Well, that was fun. Yep. You have to run. I got to run. We love you guys. Sorry for the the noisy pot. I'm sure you hear this construction. The jackhammers. I don't hear it. Oh. There's a saw just going the whole time. All right. We want to take just a few seconds to recommend some stuff to you um, that we've been watching over the last bit. We haven't been together in forever, so um, we've been having a lot more time to watch TV. (laughs) At least I have. (laughs) I've been sick. 
Perry Mason. And I know that I, I'm almost positive I've recommended Perry Mason at some point before. Years and I'm ago. talking about the new Perry Mason, not the old timey black and white, you know, TV show. But it's season two is out. And if you haven't already watched season one, watch it. But season two is so much better. It's so good. And it's all old timey Hollywood, L.A., very apropos for this episode. And uh, it's it's bonkers. I love I love all of the like cinematography, the sceneries. It's just it's fantastic. And everyone in that show is wonderful. It's very well acted. The story is just awesome. Awesome. We watched the first part of the first season. Yeah, I didn't love the first season. If I'm being completely honest, I started it and liked it. And then I kind of got bored with it. But the second season is so good. And I don't think you really need to watch the first season to get the second season. But I think it would be helpful. There's definitely like callbacks to the first season. Well, I clearly love early Los Angeles based stuff and like the film noir vibe. Mm-hmm. Is, yeah, actually, like, uh, what's the movie LA Confidential? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it's it's that, but not as dramatic. Right. It's it's so good. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, definitely check that out. It has all of the Hollywood top notches. Yes, exactly, glittery. <laughs> well, my pick is another early LA story, early as in the early nineties. We just recently rewatched Inside Look, The People versus O.J. Simpson, American Crime Story. Oh. Way too long for the show. Yeah. Way too long. But everyone's in it. Sarah Paulson, Cuba Gooding Jr. plays O.J. Simpson. Have you ever seen this, Sarah? I don't think so. Oh, it's incredible. It's amazing. It's, okay. like, it's like day by day, they cover the, you know, the, the night of the murder. Mm-hmm. And then police show up and it, uh, then it goes to like the the bronco run mm-hmm. you know and it's all acted out so it's really well done and then and obviously the trial so you, you meet all of the like the attorneys and they, it's like shot for shot it's it's really really well done you know such a crazy like american pop culture story that was so impactful and god i remember watching that bronco run on yeah. tv live and just being like who's oj simpson and dad, like, how do you not know who O.J. Simpson is? And then, you know. <laughs> we're kids, Dad. I learned everything about O.J. Simpson while he was fleeing from the police. <laughs> well, it's so funny. We started watching it because Ashley took a route home or through, back to our Airbnb. Yeah, through Brentwood. Through Brentwood. I was like, we should watch O.J. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty fun to see, like, the 101 and, you know, mm-hmm. 5 and all of the, the stuff we're, we're running around every day around here. Also, David Schwimmer as Robert Kardashian, when he says juice, oh. is unintentionally the funniest comedy yeah. I have ever seen. Every time <laughs> he says juice. It could be a, like a drinking game. You're going to yeah. get hammered. Your first friend is the juice. Hey, you're not doing the juice anymore because he's the juice. He's still the juice. He he still the ju- he's, he's still, still the juice. He's still the juice. Okay, uh, that's the plan. We're watching it. <laughs> And we're taking a sip of something, but it's not going to be whiskey. We're going to go with like a very low ABV Coors Light type of thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All righty. Well, that's uh, we did it. Let's let these people go. Sarah, kick us off. Thanks for listening to another episode of Disney Dependent.
See you real soon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at DisneyDependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WR Hatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. You can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll be back here next week.